0: God is good. We, uh, as far as me preaching on Sunday mornings, uh, the last time I preached, we started uh, going over the names of God in Scripture. You know, the faith and reason, the college group, is going through the attributes of God on Tuesday nights, and uh, I just thought how timely it was and how fitting that, uh, that, you know, we're trying to go through the names of God as He's revealed it to us in Scripture. If you got your Bibles with you, we're going to be in the 22nd chapter of the book of Genesis this morning. And while you're going there, I'm I'm going to pray. Father, I'd like to just come before you this morning and uh, and ask you, God, for for much grace, uh, Lord, to to take a task such as trying to to teach on your names, the names that you have given us to describe who you are to us. Lord God, I need your grace. I pray, Father, that um, in my weakness, Lord, in all my inadequacies, God, that you would get glory for yourself, that, God, that you would be glorified, that, that your word would be proclaimed and that Christ would be exalted. I pray that your will would be done, nothing more, nothing less. In Jesus' name, amen. I would like to, to welcome uh, Hannah and, uh, and Dustin, their families today, that is just, we're so thankful that you're here. I uh, want to say uh, welcome back to, to Paul Wilson and the little girl there, uh, gone through a rough time and just glad to see your brother. And just the visitors we have, uh, just thank you for being here. Today we're going to talk on the, the word, the name, Jehovah-Jireh. Um, the Lord is our provider. It's, it's disturbing to me so often how that in churches throughout our country, and probably no doubt all over the world, how that we want to grab something that Scripture gives us, And we want to use it and abuse it in ways that do not honor God. The Lord will provide Yahweh Jireh. But yet, verses like, or words like that, phrases like that are used for our greed, for our lust. You know, people will pray things like, whatever you ask in the name of Jesus, if you ask in his name, then it will be done for you, and people are praying Things like, oh, the Lord will provide us to win the lottery, or, you know, I was in the prison one time, and a guy asked me, he says, I want to know, is there anything wrong with me praying for a Lexus, a car? And I said, well, first of all, you're in prison. It's not going to do you much good here. And I, and I asked him, I said, it's really just a motive of the heart. I said, I don't know why you're wanting a Lexus. I mean, pretty much every year it seems like Honda was ranked number one. Why don't you just pray for a good car and maybe you'll get that or something. But, but we use these things that the Lord will provide. And you know, Nate brought up a, 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 a man that feels like God is not doing him any good. And when you, when you look at that stuff and you start thinking about it, it's basically saying that, you know, I, I am far more valuable. God should be doing so much more for me, and I'm naming it, I'm claiming it, I'm using the name of Jesus. I've got these promises that I'm praying over and over and over how God will provide everything that I need. Folks, in America, we have no idea how rich we are now i'm not talking about in christ in that context right now i'm talking about that if you have a car if you have a job that pays minimum wage if you have an apartment or a house i mean there was a guy that gave me a sheet one time that named off if you just have like one car minimum wage job you know and 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 just some you know different pairs of clothes and and a few things around it's like you're in the top 10 percent of the richest people in the world you see, because we don't have nothing to compare but other Americans, we just think, "Whoa, is me and God has not provided. God help us that we would take this teaching that we're about to get into and use it so flippantly to something that God never meant. In chapter 22, verse 1, It says, Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. After these things, what things is he talking about? Well, he's probably talking about waiting some 25 years. For the promised heir that God had promised to Abraham when he was 75 years old. He says, I'm going to bless you. You're going to be a father of many nations. And he goes year after year, decade after decade, and there's no children. Finally, him and his wife conjure up a plan, and they produce Ishmael with Hagar, Sarah's handmaid. Not, not really the ideal thing that God was, was, that was not what God had in mind. And then God comes to Abraham when he's 99 years old. And he says, about this time next year, that promise I made you, that's going to come to pass. Sarah laughed. The name Isaac means laughter. Everybody laughs with her now, with joy. But he says, after these things, listen, God tested Abraham. Now, not only after those things, but after the fact that some years into it, God disinherited Ishmael. He was not going to inherit anything with, with Isaac. Isaac was the promised son. He was the, the one that God had promised. And God said, put, put Ishmael away. Put Hagar, put his mother and him away. He says, I'm in control of all these things. And then he says, God tested Abraham. Now, if you're reading out of a King James, it probably says God tempted, or he was tempted by God. Something along those words. Well, the word there, temptation, when you look it up in the Hebrew, it really is, is talking about being tested. And, and so the difference between um, testing and tempting is this. Uh, let me just find, you know, I write these notes out so often and then I can't find things I write. God tests us. Isn't it terrible when you can't find your notes? I guess you got to start on page 1. God's purpose for testing is to examine or to prove something or someone with the intention of purifying and strengthening, okay? Temptations come from within. Satan is the one who tempts, and he tempts to bring out the worsen people to destroy them so there's a big difference so when it does say tempt and like the King James it really is talking about God's testing he's testing to bring out to purify to examine to prove Abraham to be strengthened in faith now three reasons that God gives us in, in the Old Testament that I know of for testing and one is in Exodus 2020 20, and I'll try to be as brief as I can on these but In in Exodus 20, chapter 20, verse 20, this is what it says. Moses said to the people, and this is after that Moses had given the the reading of the Ten Commandments, and Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you, listen, to test you, in order that the fear of him may remain with you, so that you may not sin. So the first thing is that God is testing so that they may not sin. The second one is found in Deuteronomy chapter 8, or the next two will both be in chapter 8, but look in chapter 8, verse 2, and this is what it says. He says, "'You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these forty years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not.'" So the second reason that God's going to test us is he wants to know what is in our heart. Now, as I say these things, God communicates with us in his word as though we're communicating on, on, like on our terms. Trust me, God knows what's in your heart, okay? God knows what you're going to speak before the words are formed on your mouth. You'll read Psalms 139. You can't hide from God. God knows everything about you in full detail instantaneously and automatically, even the things tomorrow and the next day. And then you look down in, uh, in 8.16, and he says this. He says, In the wilderness he fed you with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. So God's testing is that we may not sin, that we fear him, keep his commandments, be humble, not sin, that he would know what was in our hearts, and to end sh- at the end of all that that God would do good to us now keep that in mind as we go through this in verse 2 he says this he says take he said take now your son your only son whom you love Isaac and go to the land of moriah and offer him There is a burnt offering for one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Now, when he says to take now your only son, I want to ask you a question. Was Isaac Abraham's only son? No, he was not. We already know that he had another son named Ishmael. Now, Ishmael was disinherited. So, in that sense, he was the only son he had remaining with him. Okay? Which brings us back to something else. You know, you look at this testing, and it's going to come to something. Here's his only son. But the word only there in the uh, in the Hebrew is a word, and I'm going to try to to pronounce this right. It looks like it's yakid, and it's the unique, the promise, the covenant child. In the New Testament, in John, like John three sixteen, where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, it is monogenesis. And that is the Greek form of the same thing. It is the, the, the promise, the unique, the special one. This is the son of promise is what he's saying. He says, I want you to take now your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and I want you to go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mounds of which I will tell you. Now, my question is, I was talking to my wife about this the other night. I said, I've always wondered, what, what was, why was God doing this? I started trying to, you know, did God do something? I mean, did Abraham go and, and, and do something pretty, you know, I mean, I know pretty much his, his life story. Was God, like, you know, get demonstrating, you sinned, I'm going to do this, I'm going to show you this picture? I don't think that was it. Now, this is speculation on, on, on my part. And I've heard I heard another guy talk about this. But it's possible that after 25 years of waiting for the promise of, the, of an heir, and after disinheriting Ishmael, and listen, folks, let's understand one thing about Ishmael. We can look back and go, that's the wrong side. You don't want to be on that side. But I'm going to tell you from a father named Abraham, he loved his son Ishmael. He loved him. And let me tell you something. We can read things in Scripture and it's like, well, just put her, you know, put him away, put Hagar away. And it just reads fast and we can go through it. But I'm going to tell you, as a father, there was grieving going on. Even, even with a, a parent today with a wayward child. That you would have to come to a place where you say, you're not welcome in my home. I've got other children, you're on drugs, you're just doing all these horrible things. It is grievous to do things like that. And now God says, I'm going to test you. I want you to take Isaac, your son, your only son, and I want you to go to Moriah and you want you to offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. Now, is it possible that, that Abraham, this is speculation, but it's just kind of a... It's a, it's a thought, and you don't have to take it for anything other than a thought I'm giving you. But Isaac was the gift from God. Do you suppose that it's possible that Isaac was giving more attention and more love, I mean, that Abraham was giving more attention and more love to Isaac, the gift, than he was to God, the gift giver? You say, well, I don't know. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been guilty of that in your own life? You start esteeming your children everything look at the look at the world that we live in. Parents have lost their minds. People will travel to Arizona, Colorado, California to take their eight-year-old future major leaguer to every baseball tournament in the world. They've made their children. They're God. Listen, if this gets you, listen, don't come to me, okay? Don't come to me. I see women dressing their children up in just what I would consider just not good ways for these beauty pads. I mean, they're teaching their children, they're teaching their little girls, if you're not beautiful, you have no Worth. Now, do you think it's possible that we see that? Do you think it's possible this is what was going on? Listen, when you're 100 years old and you have this promised child, and then you disinherit your other son, this is the only one you got. Do you think it's possible that he was just devoting a lot of time and attention? And God said, I'm going to test you, Abraham. I'm going to test you. Now, like I said, that's that's my speculation, and I'll leave it there. I won't elaborate no more, but just take that as just a thought you can chew on. He tells him this. He said, I want you to go to the land of Moriah. This is going to be the future site where Solomon was going to build the temple in Jerusalem. And he says, and I want you to offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Folks, do you know that God absolutely condemned child sacrifice? A lot of times when you read about these nations that God will destroy, and when you're talking to your atheist friends and they go, well, how can God be a God of love when he's taken and he goes and just destroys? It says they killed man, woman, and every child, and infant, and they just wiped them plumb out. Folks, it didn't just happen overnight. God just didn't go, hey, Philip, I want you to gather up some people. I want you to go wipe that town out over there. I just don't like them today. No, they were They were ungodly, they were wicked, they were haters and rejectors of everything God was about. And they were even to the point that they would offer their children up to their false gods in the fire. Child sacrifice was going on. Hey, it's going on today, folks. You know, there were gods back then that they would serve that were gods of desire. You want to say it like that? They would have their pleasure in that. And then they would go offer their children up in the fire to the god of called Molech. We wouldn't do that today, would we? Wouldn't do that today, would we, church? How many people are so rampant in fornication today? And then when things don't go my way, well, i just go over here and I'll get an abortion. We call the gods by different names, but it's the same old story. It's the same old story. And here's God telling Abraham, I want you to go offer him up as a burnt offering. Now, let me tell you this. God is not condoning child sacrifice. What God is doing, he's testing Abraham. God condemned child sacrifice, so the point here is to prove or to test Abraham's faith to see whether or not he would obey God in offering Isaac up while not wavering in believing God's promise that through Isaac shall your offspring be named. That's Genesis 21-12. He was testing Abraham. Now folks, I want to, I want you to listen to me real quick, okay? When God is testing us, you know, we talk about, you know, examine yourself, see whether you're in the faith, right? Well, one way we do that is we look into his word, right? We look in there and we say, "Okay, you know, am I lining up what do I is is what I believe does it line up with scripture or not?" We can test it that way. The other way that we examine or prove To see whether our faith is real was when we're approached with trials. When we're approached in that time of testing. And it's going to prove out whether we're going to sin or not. It's going to prove out whether our heart is right. It's going to prove out whether we're humble and we fear God, that we desire to do to be obedient to Him more than the desires of our flesh. Now, it may not be God's asking you to go offer up your child and A fire? But he might be telling you to entreat your boss who treats you so bad he wants you to to respond to him with love and kindness. It may be that. It may be that when you're dealing with foster children and the thing isn't going your way. I had to pray yesterday. I was walking down the road and I'm praying, and I'm like, God, I know I give these dHS workers a rough time i, I i'm I'm angry, they can tell it I, I'm you know because I feel like I can't stop what's happening. We've had this little boy since he was four days old. He's not with us today because he's with his biological dad, who in my opinion, has no business with a child, but the way the system's working is going that way. And I had to finally say, God, I think I'm angry with you because I'm saying what I want to be done. I'm afraid it's not going to go my way. Now, am I going to act like a Christian acts in this ordeal? Am I going to pass the test? Do you follow what I'm saying here when he's testing Abraham? Now, look. In verse 3, so Abraham rose early. I'm going to ask you something. He rose early. Possibly he couldn't sleep. I don't know. But he rose early. You know what this is saying? It wasn't delayed, obedience. He was obedient. He rose up early to go do what God had called him to do. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him, and Isaac, his son, He split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Now, from this next several verses, we're going to be looking at the gospel of Jesus Christ. On the third day, it says Abraham raised his eyes or lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from a distance. Folks, these things aren't in here at random. Abraham had traveled roughly some 40, 50 miles, according to my measurements on my little map in the back, to get from Beersheba to, to, to Moriah. He traveled about that far, and you can only imagine every step he's taken, what's going on in here. It's grievous. He's obeying, but there's a part of him. This, this is the promised son, but he's being obedient. He's, he's faithfully doing what God has called him to do. And finally, he looks up and he sees the place that God has told him to go. Folks, do you let me tell you something? He just traveled forty or 50 days for probably a day, two days. i don 't know. i 'm going to tell you this: that God from eternity, he saw that place, and he saw the day that he was going to give up his son is that sacrifice. They're not in there. These verses aren't just randomly put in here just to describe things. They do describe things, but it's describing much more. In verse 5, he says, Abraham said to his young men, Now listen to this. Four things happen here. He says, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. Now listen to this. He said, stay here. It's the first thing. Stay here. Do you remember when Jesus was in the garden? He went to the garden, and, and he, he had Peter and James and John go a little further with him. Then he said, he told the first, he said, I want you to sit here and wait. And he said, you three, come on. And then he says, sit here while I go over here and pray. Right? We see that right here. He said, I want, you young men, I want you to stay right here. And then what does he do? He says, he says I and the lad will go over there. I want you to understand something. When Jesus said to the to the, the the three, He said, I want you to sit here. I want you to watch with me. I'm going to go over yonder. I'm going to go over there and I'm going to pray. And He's praying and He says, Father, if it's possible, if, there's, if it's possible, let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, not My will, but Thy will be done. D- do you know what I believe He's saying there? See, I, I think at this point, all of his closest friends, everybody—he's left him over there, and it's just now—it's just him and his father, and he's saying, "Father, is there—is there any other way that this can be accomplished? Human, human, humanly speaking, there's a dread there." He's saying, is there any other way, Father? And I don't think he was doubting, but here's what I think he was was demonstrating. The Father responds with this. No, son. There is no other way that I could ever redeem Don. There's no other way, son. This is the only way that it can be. And he says, your will be done, Father. Your will be done. You see... Here, he says, I, and the lad, we will go over and we will worship. Now, this worship is a word. I've got to put my glasses on. The worship is shaka or shacha. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. And it means to bow down in submission. If you look over here, listen to this in Philippians 2. Um, 2.8. You don't have to turn there. You can. Some of you are fast turners, but if you're not, just, just hang on. I'll just read it. I want you to listen to this. In Philippians two eight, this is what he says. He says, speaking of Christ, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, There's a reason he says he became obedient to the point of death and then even to the point, I mean, even to the death on the cross. You see, he didn't just die, but he died under our curse in the most humiliating way there has ever been for a man to die. The cross was reserved for the worst of the worst. And yet Christ humbled himself. And he was obedient to the point of death. Think about that. He says, we will worship. We will bow down in submission. Christ became obedient. He submitted to the will of the Father. That's what he prayed. And then he says this. And listen to this. And he says, and return to you. He's saying, we're going to go over here. We're going to go worship. And we're going to return to you. In John, Gospel of John, chapter 14, there's three places. In three eighteen and 28, he says, Jesus says, If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you myself, that where I am, there you may be also. In verse 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And then in verse 28, he says, You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the... That's not it. Oh, yeah. He said, I go away, and I will come to you. And he says, if you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, and the Father is the Father is greater than I. He said, I go away. I'm going away, but I'm coming back. I'm coming for you. I remember hearing Russell Moore give testimony... Him and his wife couldn't have children. And and finally they had come to a place in their life where they went to Russia to an orphanage and they were going to adopt two little boys. And biologically they weren't brothers, but they went over, they made the trip over there and, and they got to meet their sons. But due to all the paperwork, they weren't going to be able to take them then. They they just got to meet them. And I mean, it, it was just incredible. But he says, as as they were leaving, one of them, and I can't remember the names he gave them, but one of them ran. Now, they don't only seen each other for like a day, maybe a couple, and one of them ran to him. He's crying, and he grabs a hold of his dad, and he's just embracing this little boy, and he's crying. And I think his name might have been Benjamin, and he says, Benjamin, don't worry, because I'm coming back for you. And he says, and just hit him the words of Christ. But look what's going on with Abraham. Abraham's being tested, right? He's being told, I want you to go offer up your son. I want you to offer him up as a burnt offering. But look what Abraham is saying. He's saying, I want you to stay here. Me and Isaac, we're going over there. We're going to worship. And then we're going to, we are coming back. We are coming back. You think Abraham thought, God surely isn't going to make me go through with this? I don't think that's what he thought. I don't think that's what he thought. And then in verse 6, it says, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Here's another thing. It's just not there, folks. He took the wood and he laid it on his son. They took the cross and they laid it upon Christ. And it says, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. Now listen to this. So the two of them walked on together. The two of them, the father and the father. And the Son. I believe that it's something that we can't see, but when Christ, when he was arrested and all his disciples fled from his presence, and it looks like he's completely alone, I believe that that journey, that walk that started there to the mockery of a trial, all the way to the hill of Golgotha, I believe that him and his Father were walking together. I think it speaks of unity in this. It speaks that they're unified in what's going on, meaning their wills are together here. And it speaks of the father leading the son and the son obeying the lead of the father. They walked on together. And Isaac spoke. Now, this is going to tell you that Isaac didn't know exactly what was going on, but we're going to see some. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and he says, my father And he says, here am I, or here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, and I'm going to quote the the King James on this because I believe that's my favorite way it's written. God will provide himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Where, where is the lamb? Where is the lamb for the burnt offering, Father? Where is he at? At this point, Isaac doesn't realize he's the one. That he's the one who's going to be offered up. But by faith, Abraham, what does he say? He's saying, Isaac, God will provide himself the lamb. God will provide himself. The first thing we get here of Jehovah Jireh, God provides. And you go look it up and it means like he sees. And the way we would probably say it today is it would be like this. God will see to it. God will see to it. If you're going to put it in a way that we would speak that today, God provides, God will see to it. And then it says, now listen, God will provide himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And look, once again it says, so the two of them walked on together. And then in verse 9, it says, then they came to the place of which God had told them. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. Now listen to this part. And he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. Now, at this point, we definitely know that Isaac knows what's going on. He knows who the sacrifice was supposed to be in this story. I think Isaac probably could have ran from him. I think there was a lot of things that the scripture doesn't give us. But according to commentators, he was probably between 15 and 20 years of age. But that's not what he did. He was obedient to his father. He bound his son up and he laid him on the altar. You see, this is the place that nobody wants to go. In our times of testing, I've done this so many times. Failed the test, failed the test, failed the test. I'm like, oh, Lord, I know what you're teaching me. This is the message you've been trying to teach me right here. Okay, Lord, I've got it. We can move on in life now. Well, I just got it intellectually. This is the part where Abraham's like, Surely, Lord, if He was going to do this, I don't think He did. But if He was like us, it'd have been like this. Lord, I've gone all this way. Now you're not going to really make me do this. But that's not what happened. No. It says that Abraham stretched out his hand in verse 10, and he took the knife to slay his son. He's come to the, the the very final point of the test. He's come there. Now look at this. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And listen to this. He says, do not stretch out your hand against the lad. He said, and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son your only son for me. Now, Abraham passed the test. What did, what did he? What did he demonstrate here? Well, according to the three things we read about why God tests us, well, Abraham proved he was obedient and that he did not sin by withholding Isaac. He didn't sin in that. Let me ask you something, church. We go back to just our children. Do we do we feel like we have made idols of our children? And let me say it like this. We we will say, Lord, I want to do your will. Whatever you would call whatever you'd have me do. it's weird how children and grandchildren and things like that can affect the way we think we go from lord i want to be a missionary lord i'll go wherever you want me to go you know your kid you either don't have children in life or you're small and you're they're always with you but then when they grow up they start getting older and then they start having kids and we're more reluctant to say, Lord, whatever you want. It's more like, Lord, you've planted me right here, and I'm good with that. I, I know I'm supposed to bloom where I'm planted, and obviously you've planted here. And matter of fact, Lord, I want you to plant your, my kids all around my house. Folks, if you're not careful, you're falling into idolatry. God did not give you your children plant around your house all your life i'm sorry if you think that god gave you your children that you would teach them and train them to be arrows shot out there to take the gospel of jesus christ out into a lost and a dying world and if they're missionaries in china this one is and that one's over in india and this one's over in alaska and the philippines or whatever and god sends you wherever god be praised We don't think like that, do we? That preaches well, does things like that, but the reality, missionary went to China several years back, about 20-something years ago. His wife's testimony was, I was about 45 years old. I'd just become a grandmother. I was nothing but a housewife. So my husband was a preacher, and he comes home and says, Honey, I feel like God's taking us to China. She said, I didn't want to go nowhere. I was just, you know, everything was just working out great in life. My my life was perfect. And she got uprooted, taken to China. And when I heard her testimony, she she said, "We've, we've been there 20 years. Now, they get to come back at times, but she said, we've been there 20 years. And she said, here I am in America, the place I did not want to leave. I did not want to leave my children. I did not want to leave my grandchildren. And she said, here I am in America where everything is comfortable and nice and the food is awesome and all this. And she says, and all I can think of is my children over there in China that God has given me all these little orphan girls on the streets that she took in. And she said, I just feel like I need to get home. Abraham passed the test that he did not put Isaac in front of God. Abraham passed the test that God brought out what was in Abraham's heart, that Abraham loved God most, he trusted God, he obeyed God, he believed, he believed God that when God said in Isaac, he says through Isaac your descendants shall be named. He believed God to the point that even if God was to slay Isaac, God could raise the dead. And Abraham passed the test that he's fixing to see what God was now going to show Abraham, how he was going to do us good in the end. He trusted God that To know that the latter end is better than the beginning. And God's about to show him that. So he says, God says, I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And then it says, now listen. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked. Now I want you to picture this scene. He he has just grabbed a hold of a knife. He's about to I suppose he's going to cut Isaac's throat. I mean, that's the way they usually do those things. And God says, "Don't do it. I know that you fear me. You passed the test." I can almost just see Abraham just saying, "Thank you, God." And he raises up. And he and he looks with his eyes. And this is very important. He says, he looks with his eyes. And he says, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Do you remember when Jesus was having the the debate in John chapter 8? And Abraham said this to those Pharisees and scribes and such, to the Jews, he says, your father Abraham he saw my day and rejoiced in it They're talking, they're bragging, they're saying we're we're Abraham's our father. You don't even know who your father Abraham's our father. He says your father Abraham saw my day and he rejoiced in it. I believe that what Jesus was speaking of was right here. Listen to what that says again. Abraham raised his eyes and looked. Abraham saw it. And behold, behind him, a ram, a picture. Here's the lamb caught in the thicket. What's the thicket represent? The curse. Sins come into the world. Man's under a curse. Here's the ram. He's caught in a thicket by his horns. Horns represent authority, his deity. He has put that off. He's brought it and he's submitted himself under the curse that was yours and mine. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Now listen to me Christ not only died in our place he was our substitute but Christ lived the perfect life that we could not live you couldn't live it then you can't live it now he fulfilled the law in, in that he kept it perfectly on our behalf. He became our substitute. He died in our place, the death that we should have died. And three days after he was put in that grave, he rose for our justification. And it says, and Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide church Let's do not be found guilty of taking Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord will provide, and be asking for cars and money and things like that. God tells us to make our requests, make our petitions, our prayers, offer them up to God with thanksgiving. But let me tell you something, church, if God has changed you, if you're really born again, you're not praying for these material things, you're not being like the world. You're praying that you can be conformed to the image of Christ. Now, am I telling you that God doesn't provide what we need? No, God does provide what we need. I mean, how in the world, how in the world do we not say that when we hear testimonies like Helen Roosevelt teaching the children about God and how God loves us and God cares and there's a child that is sick and about to die, a little baby that needs to be kept warm. And she thinks, she said, we need a water bottle, but it had busted. And so one of the little girls she's teaching, guess what? She has a great idea. She says, well, let's pray that God will bring a water bottle. You're Helen Roosevelt. You're a missionary. You're supposed to believe this stuff already. She is afraid to pray this. We We need a water bottle right now. Then the little girl adds this. She says, and let's pray that God will send the little doll so the baby will know that God loves him. And Helen Rosevere in all kinds of unbelief, had to pray this prayer. And let me tell you something, those kids were expecting it. The day went on, and finally the mail call came in. They said, Helen, you got a package up here. She said, her heart just kind of Stopped. She thought, there's no way. She said, I've been here for several years. And she said, I've never received a package from home. They open up this package. The kids are all excited. You know why the kids are excited? Because they know God's going to do it. They start going through this stuff. And there's clothes. And there's different things, you know, like this. And all of a sudden, she's in all this stuff. And she reaches in. and She feels the rubber material. She thought... There's no way. You see, because for this package to arrive at this time from home, it had to be mailed off about six months prior to this. And she pulls out a brand new water bottle. And the little girl who requested all this prayer says, well, if God sent that, then there's got to be a doll in there too. She dug in the bottom and pulled out a little doll. Our God, He provides for His people. He doesn't provide what you want all the time, but He provides what you need. He's going to put the test there, and God is the one who provides. He is the one who provided our salvation. That's why we call Him Savior and not ours. It is blasphemous. It is heresy to think that you can add to salvation by anything. Oh, I hear people say, well, i got to do this, i got to do that. Hey, I just tell them, man, if you're saved, do all you want. Just don't ever think that you added anything to it. God knows what we stand in need of. I took a trip one time. I was on a preaching trip. And we had, we didn't have nothing really, to be honest. I think we had $40 in our bank account. I was talking to to Dustin's dad about this. It was in the wintertime, didn't have no money. And I feel like going and preaching to this place, at this place. And it's like eight, nine hours away, ten hours. My mom and dad had come up, and they were leaving, and they left some money They said, "Hey, we want you to buy the kids some school. I mean, some school clothes and stuff." And and I really felt like going. And I was like, "I can't go," you know. And we talked about it. And she's like, "Well, you feel like the Lord's leading you, then you just go," you know. We'll just trust the Lord. So I went. I took the money we had and I went. I think it was only like sixty bucks. Obviously, gas was a lot cheaper then. But I thought, okay, I know I got enough to get there and back, and and I don't have to eat when I'm driving i can make it you know i can tough it out whatever and when i got there we're just saying that church we used to be in they didn't we didn't pay ministers to come i mean you went on your own dime you you know you you you, i mean sometimes people would you know they might say hey i feel like giving you this well on that trip it, it felt like everybody that shook my hand there was money in my hand i didn't say nothing to nobody they didn't have no clue where i was at financially or anything and I was too embarrassed to even look at it. I mean, to count it, I just took it in my pocket, and I found an envelope, and I just put it in this envelope, and I just kept, you know, every, and this just happened for like two or however long I was there. And when I left, I wouldn't even look. I finally got down the road, and I think I pulled over, and I counted it up. And, she, and I said, you're not going to believe this. And I think when I counted up, I think it was like, if I'm not mistaken, I want to say it was about eleven or $1,200. It was a crazy amount of money. Well, I got home, and we, we paid all these bills, and this is going to sound funny, but I felt like going back. Now, not if you're thinking, well, yeah, if you get 1100 bucks every time you go, well, the next time, nobody gave me anything. And they might have been thinking the same thing. I don't know. But I went, went back, and when, I, when we got back home, the day we got back home, the next day was the day we had to pay our rent. And we just had, it was still in this envelope. And we we weren't really keeping track of what we had left. We just and rent was due. Our rent was three hundred and forty dollars at that time. And she goes, "Well, the rent's due." And I said, well, "What do we got left in that envelope?" And she goes, well, "Let me see." And she counted it up, and it was three hundred and forty dollars, exact. You see, I do believe that God does provide the things we need in our daily life. I believe God provided. The salvation that He provided, the Lamb, the real Jehovah Jireh, the real thing. Listen, if God never did anything for me but saved me, it's worth dancing and rejoicing from here till I die. But we live, like Nate said, we live so unthankful, and God's already done more, so much more than we should ever, we would ever deserve. We'll have a warm day and we'll go, oh, it's too windy. We're in February and March. Oh, it's too windy. Oh, my gosh. Our God provides. He is our Yahweh, Jirah. our Jehovah, Jirah. He provides our sanctification. He provides the giftings that we have. He provides the ability to use those giftings. He provides the leading to use the ability of the gifting. Trust me, when I got up this morning, I'm like, Lord, please help me not blow this. I studied. I've got notes. I got them all the way done this time. And I know, except God provides the grace, this is going to be bad. Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. On that same place where God told Abraham to offer up his son Isaac, he stopped him and said, no, Abraham, I'm not going to have you offer up your son I'm going to offer up mine. It's going to be for the sins of the world. When our worship team come up, they're going to sing a song. I encourage you this morning, while they're coming, I'm just going to say a prayer, but I want to encourage you to see where your heart's at on this. Father, this morning, God... You are our provider. The only place in Scripture where you ever say this is right here, Lord. And you gave us such a picture of our Savior. We gave us such a picture of our God. And, oh, we have us a God. The only true God. And you have provided everything that we would ever need. And even in, even on top of that, you provide us with daily this food and, and, and clothing. And as we heard, they breath and the sun to, to to work with the plants that are, oxygen could be made that we could live and, and you sustain this whole world. You provide all of our needs. God help us that we would never be those people that complain. Forgive us where we have. God help us. Help us Lord to know that you care for us in a way that you have provided all that we will ever need. You said in one place you have given us all all things that pertain to life and godliness. If there's any here this morning, Lord, that don't know you, I hope today that they understand that that atonement, that sacrifice for their sin has been provided, and they need to turn and repent of their sins and put their faith entirely upon Christ, even as Abraham did. Abraham believed, and you said he was righteous. In Jesus' name, amen.